It's amazing how far people will go to get something for free. Maybe you remember this from a few years ago. Ellen DeGeneres hosted the Oscars, and she took a famous selfie there. We'll put up on the screen. Maybe you've seen this. It's a selfie of her and a lot of famous, good-looking people. And apparently people really liked that because she put that out on Twitter, and it became the most retweeted picture of all time. 3.43 million retweets of that photo right there. People just loved it and thought it was great and fun and all of that. Um, and it actually held the record as the most retweeted thing ever until that record was broken about a year ago. And it was broken not by Donald Trump or Kim Kardashian or, or maybe someone that you might expect in Hollywood. It was, it was broken uh, by the, a, a kid named Carter Wilkinson, who was a 16-year-old from Reno, Nevada. And Carter had seen that this held the record, and he sent a tweet to Wendy's, the, the company, and he said, hey, um, would you give me free nuggets for a year? If I, like, how many how many tweets do I how many retweets do I need to get for you to give me free nuggets for a year, free chicken for a year? And um, they said 18 million. And then he tweeted back and he said, "Consider it done." And he took a screenshot of that of that "consider it done" and he sent it out to all his friends. And within a couple of days, it had reached 50,000 people that had been retweeted. And then it just kept going and going and going. And eventually, Ellen invited him onto the show. Uh, and he was on, on the show there. And um, as soon as he passed 3.43 million retweets, uh, Wendy's reached out to him and said, that's enough. Um, that, like, you win. We'll give you free, free chicken for a year. And we'll donate $100,000 in your name to the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. So it was a really, really kind of a cool, a cool thing how that kind of all went down. Um, but it was a, a reminder to me of how far we would go to get something for free. Uh, apparently, you know, you, you're willing to do the work. Uh, we love free stuff, right? Like if I, um, I, I've thought about this. If I had a t-shirt cannon right now, y'all would go crazy. Like it just, it didn't even matter if it's a good t-shirt. Like if I was just shooting a cannon at you with a free t-shirt, you're like, ah, free t-shirt, right? Um, just free stuff. We love it. They have, um, we, we had, we went to the store the other day, Rack Room Shoes had buy one, get one free on boots. I almost hesitated to say that because I was afraid you'd run out right now to get them. But, but it's like, oh, what a cool idea. Like, I, I buy this thing and I get these things for free and whatever. And, like, we love the idea of getting things for free. Not just do we like getting stuff for free. We like the idea of being free. It is, like, so baked into this country. We are the country. We threw off our oppressors. We have been liberated. And we are free. Um, and we love the idea that now in, in 2018, we are a very free society, a very free people, um, and, and that's, that's an awesome thing. But here's what I've noticed. For as much as we claim to be free, a lot of us still are not free. We are enslaved by so many things. Yes, legally, we may not be enslaved to things, but we end up becoming enslaved to so many things. We say, I don't want to look at porn, and then we look at porn. So I don't want to eat junk food, and then we keep eating the junk food. I don't want to blow up and lose my temper again, and then we blow up and lose our temper again. I don't want to keep dating that kind of guy, and we keep dating that kind of guy. Like, what is it in us that no matter how free we claim to be, we keep getting enslaved to a bunch of different things? Rousseau said it this way, man is born free, and everywhere he is in chains. And I have certainly seen that to be true in lives of people around me and in my own life. And for Christians, it's a particularly weird thing because we serve and we follow a guy named Jesus. And Jesus said this in John chapter 8. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. So here we are following someone who claims. Now, it, 
granted, there's an if-then statement there, right? Like, you need to do your part, and then he does his part. But, but the if is, hey, if you stick with me, if you abide in my word, if you follow my teachings, and, and you are my disciples, here's what's going to happen. You're going to know the truth. What kind of truth? Well, you're going to know the truth about life, about purpose, about where this is all going, about what matters, what doesn't matter, what is sin, what is not sin. You will know the truth about all the boundaries about the way we are created and, and, and where this whole thing's going. You will understand suffering. You will understand pain in a different way. You will know all of that. And there's something about knowing that truth that's going to liberate you. It is going to set you free. Once you, once you really get it, there's something that is going to be like, man, the chains are falling off of me. I have been made free. Now, I know that is true. It's a promise from Jesus. But what I see in me at times and what I see around me at times is that we don't live as if that's true. We are continually going back to, to slavery, and we are not free people. And I want to talk about that today because it really gets to the heart of our, our topic. We have been in this series called Dealing with Difficult People, and two weeks ago we talked about dealing with difficult friends, and last week uh, we talked about dealing with difficult family, and that was a hard, it's a hard verse there to look at the, the fact that God gave Miriam leprosy. Um, whenever there's a hard passage in the Bible, I read about it, pray over it, and then I assign it to Tommy and say, why don't you preach that? <laughs> Um, so I gave him that last week, to, and I thought he did a great job with it. I'm just like, okay, how do you deal with difficult people who are family members? And, and today I want to talk about this one last piece of this, this, this idea of difficult people because the reality is, sure, there are difficult friends, bosses, coworkers, people at school. There's difficult people around you. There's difficult family members, your uncle, your mom, your whatever. But you could get rid of all of those people and you'd still have problems. And the reason why is because you are a difficult person. The person you see in the mirror is also rather problematic, right? That, that we make messes all the time, and so we need to deal with that. And to do that, we're going to look at Moses. We have been looking at Moses quite a bit over the last several months, and we're going to wrap that up today. Um, and we're going to talk about how Moses, as he wanders in the wilderness for 40 years through the desert with the Israelites, leading this group of people to the promised land out of Egypt, out of slavery, as they're being led out of slavery and going to a place of freedom, uh, they run into a lot of snares, a lot of problems along the way. And Moses has to deal with friends and acquaintances who are in his business. He has to deal with his family members who are in his business. And then he really has to deal with himself and the way he blows it himself. And I, hopefully at, by looking at him, we'll see some ways that we can reflect on that and, and, and see uh, how we can deal with uh, the difficult stuff that we face when we look in the mirror. So no, uh, no. Numbers 20, uh, I want to read it, and I want you to hear this. Numbers 20, it says this, starting at verse 2. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. This is in an area called Kadesh, out in the, in the, the desert. And this is one of many complaints and rebellions that the people have against Moses. They complain all the time that they're out there in the desert. They're... Uh, they complain that they don't have enough meat to eat. They complain that they're not getting there fast enough. Uh, you know, they kind of do the, like, when will we get there? And Moses is like, do you want me to turn this car around? And then, like, they, they do that whole thing. Uh, they complain about food, the kinds of food, water shortages. There's plenty of complaining going on from the Israelites to Moses. And it's weird, too, because they're complaining even though God has already delivered them. God has done stuff for them and, and handled them well, and yet still... They forget that. They forget, oh, God did that thing back then. We forgot. And they just start complaining again. 
I think that's probably totally unrelatable to you, right? Like, you don't know what that's like. I don't know what that's like to complain about things God clearly has done for us in the past, and we complain because he's not doing them again right now. So even though that's totally unrelatable, let's just read on at, at what's next. Verse 3. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly out of the wilderness into the, out of the Lord, assembly of the Lord into this wilderness? We should die here, both we and our cattle. And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. They're about to do something. Like God is going to deliver them. He's going to bring them into the promised land. And yet they're lacking patience. They're frustrated. This is like complaining, like your kids complaining on the car ride to Disney. Like it's about to get really good and they, they, they don't see that and they're just like, ah, it's terrible and they're frustrated, right? Continuing on, verse 6. So what happens? Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. They would travel with a portable church, basically, a, the tabernacle. It was a tent that they would set up when they would set up camp. They'd set up this place. And Moses and Aaron are the only ones. They, they go to this spot to talk to God. And no one else is around. They get away from the crowd. They go there. They fall on their faces before God to have a conversation with him. And God gives them some instructions, verse 7. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff, the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock, before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord and he, as he commanded him. So God's very specific. Hey, grab the staff that's over here, pick it up. I want you to go out there to the crowd and they're upset that they don't have water. I want you to speak to this rock that is sitting there and the, wa- the rock will pour out water and they will get water to drink, all of them and their cattle and everything. Now look, I don't exactly know how that works. Like, you have to be open to the possibility of the miraculous. And maybe some of you are, maybe some of you are not. Maybe you're more skeptical of anything miraculous. I think on the scale of miracles, this one's pretty low. This is like a low bar for God to jump out over. He can make water flow out of the desert in places you weren't expecting. So God uh, sends him out with very specific instructions. Speak to the rock, it'll bring water, and then everybody's going, going to be good. Look what happens next as Moses goes out from there. Verse 10. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? I think something's going wrong here. I I think this is about to get problematic, don't you? Like, he gave very specific instructions, and he's like, you know, you're going to get the... And and, and Moses comes out, I, I think he's on tilt is what we'd call it. He comes in a little hot, don't you think? He's like, hey, suckers. You guys, I'm so sick of you. What do you want? And he, listen to the way he words it. Do you want us to bring water out of this rock? Now, come on, Moses. You don't bring water out of the rock. That's not a thing you do. That's not your jam. It, now, it's happened once before. This happened in Exodus as well. So it's not like that's never happened. So he's maybe referring back to an event that has already happened. But he's saying, like, hey, do you want us to, you want us to do a little show for you, you, you bunch of losers, complainers? Um, and, and, and look what happens, verse 11. And Moses lifted up his hands and did what? He struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their livestock. And if that was the end of the story, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's like, all right, well, cool. Everybody gets water. Everybody's happy. Desert, you know, you need water. He hit the rock. Water comes out. It's all good. But that's not the end of the story. Verse 12, continuing on. 
And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are, there, these are the waters of Meribah where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord and through him, through them he showed himself holy. Whoa, that escalated quickly, didn't it? Suddenly it's like, all right, hey, because you didn't trust me, because you, look at the offense, because you uh, struck the rock and didn't speak to the rock to ask it to bring water, I'm now going to not let you go into the promised land. This, these, you've been leading these people for decades through the, the desert. Now you can't go in because you, you blew it here. Moses, you took credit for something that actually I was doing. And this had to have been a crushing blow for Moses because he's led these people for decades. He's an old man. It's a, a pretty thankless job. And he's tired. And he, he's over it. And, and, and this, this must have been hard for him. But I think we actually get a little clue as to his sort of mental emotional state here. Um, because he gives a speech to the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 3 in the next, the next book. And listen to what he says to them about this event. He says, And I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Kind of, you know, buttering up God, right? He's like, you're awesome. Please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that good hill country and Lebanon. And then listen to what he says. But the Lord... He's talking to the Israelites, okay? But the Lord was angry with me because of you and, and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough from you. Do not speak to me of this matter again. I don't think Moses gets it. I think Moses thinks, well, this isn't my fault. It's their fault. I, you know, I want to go to the promised land too. I've been waiting to let go. I've been leading this thing. The reason I don't get to go is because you're such a bunch of stubborn people. It's all of the difficult people around me are the problem. And the truth is, he's the problem. He, he, he messes up here. He's the one who commits the sin. Now, this is an ancient story, 1400 B.C., about, uh, about, and I think it tells us something about our own sin. And I think if we look at it, we can see something about our sin and how we can actually be free. So let me give you a couple ideas uh, around sin and, and, and freedom that I see in this text. Number one is this. Sin is, sin is us wanting to be God. Moses wants to take the power and the glory for himself. He wants to make it about him. He wants control. He wants to, to be in charge. And so often we get like that. And, and he doesn't want to obey God just because God said so. And God says, do the thing. He goes, all right, I'll do the thing. He wants the power of it to say, like, no, I, I, get, to, I get to decide how it goes. And, and I think a lot of us are like that. Our obedience to God is not, God, you tell me what you want me to do and I'll go do it. What most of us do in, in, with God is, God, you tell me what you want me to do. I don't know if I like it. Can you explain why you want me to do it? Once you explain it to a level that I'm comfortable with, then I will obey it. And in, in, in doing that, we're not obeying God. We're just obeying our own sense of reason. If I can rationally justify what God is asking me to do, then I will go off and do that. And, 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 that's, and that's, a, that's a problem um, that, that, we, that we function that way. It's not really obedience. It's just doing what we want anyway. And Moses was trying to do this entire thing his own way. And it can be hard. God gave specific instructions, and Moses didn't want to follow them. God gives us instructions and rules to follow, and a lot of times we don't want to follow them. And we don't want to follow them because we don't understand them. 
And they didn't either. Look, if you go back and look at the laws in the Old Testament, God gives them laws around sanitation, around sexuality. He gives them all these boundaries. And we read them later and we go, well, why did they do that or whatever? And maybe they thought, God, why are you making us follow these laws? But he didn't have time, perhaps, to explain all of the stuff. So, for example, God says, like, if you're going to go to the bathroom, go outside the camp and, like, dig a hole. Like, don't just go to the bathroom where your water source is. They don't understand sanitation. So God's not going to explain to them, okay, this is how sanitation works and this is how things flow and this is germs and disease and all that. They don't understand. He just says, do this, and they have to obey. God says, don't marry your cousin and sleep with her. We've got genetic things going on. You don't understand genes. The world is not going to understand genes for like 3,000 years. And then they'll start understanding this. But I'm telling you right now because I made you and I know even what genetics works like. Don't sleep with your cousin. Like, that's a no-no. Don't be sexually promiscuous. I know you don't understand what a sexually transmitted disease is. They're not going to know about that for a couple thousand years in the world. But I'm God and I'm telling you, don't do this. Don't sleep with a bunch of people outside of marriage. Um, don't eat pork. Uh, you don't know what trichinosis is. The, not, the world's not going to understand that for a couple thousand years. I know what it is. I'm telling you, stay away from these certain things. Hey, if somebody gets sick, don't be hanging around them and hanging all over them. Quarantine them for a little bit when they're sick because if they get sick, you don't know what germs are. I know you don't understand that. The world's not going to understand that for a couple thousand years. I understand it, and I'm telling you, for your own good, this is why I have, I've put down these laws. God does that stuff. He says, here, follow, obey. Here, here's, here's the boundaries. And he doesn't always explain all the reasons why. And that's still true today. God, you don't want me to sleep around outside of marriage? I kind of like it. It's kind of fun. I'd rather do that. And God says, no, sex is something that happens within the context of marriage. I don't agree. I don't like that. I don't like how your rules are set up. And God goes, I'm not going to get, not necessarily give you all the whys behind the what. Um, I just, I made you, and I know how your heart is, and I know how you attached you get to people, and I know, and I designed sex to be that way, and I don't want you attached to everybody like that. Um, okay. God says, hey, divorce needs to function in these very narrow parameters. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I like that. God says, hey, you need to handle your money this way and be generous with it. I don't know. I don't know if I like that. Look, of all the things in the New Testament and the Old Testament, I can't give you the why behind all of them. I don't, I don't know all the time myself. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, I don't know why God drew that line around that. I'm not, I'm not really sure. But I've, I've followed him enough, and many people in this room would say the same thing. We've followed him enough to say, I think God is trustworthy. And if he says to obey, then we need to follow and not try to set ourselves up as God because that's when we sin and that's when we start down the road to, uh, to some sort of slavery. So, Number one, sin is us wanting to be God. Number two, private sins will eventually be found out. Moses thought that no one really knew his conversation between him and God. So he figured, hey, if God tells me to speak to the rock and I go strike the rock, who's going to care? No, no one knew. And the reality is the private stuff eventually gets found out. And I have seen this over and over in ministry, with friends, in the church, outside of the church. You can cover things up for a while, weeks, months, years, but eventually it comes out. And then there's, a, then there's a mess to clean up and there's, there's some hard stuff that you have to deal with when private things that you thought you were keeping hidden come out um, and, and relationships are burnt and it can be a very difficult thing. I think this is why the New Testament tells us to confess our sins to one another. It's like, hey, go, go ahead and confess your sins because they're going to come out anyway. So you might as well get them out with a trusted friend and say, hey, this is what I'm struggling with, this is what you're struggling with. Um, but I know this, there's no freedom in hiding our sins. There's no freedom in that. It is, it is another form of being enslaved. 
when we are spending so much time and energy trying to manage our people's perception of us, when we are spending our time trying to make it look like we are not addicted or enslaved or whatever, and we are hiding things, um, that that constant energy spent to hide things, uh, there's no freedom there when, when, when we do that. So number two, our private sins will eventually be found out. Number three is this, sin has consequences. God couldn't have Moses just upstage him and take the credit when God is the one who's actually doing this whole thing and leading him. And so he needed a leader who would put him, who would put God first. In fact, he tells Moses at the end of that Deuteronomy passage, he says this, uh, but charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen him for he shall go over to the head, uh, at the head of, his, of this people and he shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. Man, that's rough. God says, I'm gonna get you to the edge of the Jordan River and you're gonna be able to see the promised land but you're not gonna get to go to it. Joshua, I want you to get him ready to, to do this. And it's a reminder that our sin has consequences. Um, you may love God and you may have found life. You may, you may give your life to Christ here and you still get divorced. And, it's still, and it's, there's still a brokenness because there are consequences. The scripture teaches that we reap what we sow. Um, you may get baptized here but you may struggle with financial debt. You, you may come to Area 10, you may have been coming here for a long, long time, but there are still consequences of our, of our sins. There's still stuff that, that plays out over time. We reap what we sow. So sin has consequences. And number four is this, God is a holy God. You know, in some ways, the situation's easy to understand with Moses here. Like, if you're in the desert and it's hot and it's annoying and, it's, and, peop, and there's a million people, a million mouths to feed and everyone's complaining and you're wondering how long this is going to go on, I mean, who would blame you if you got a little short with people? Who would blame you if you're like, you're a bunch of rebels, you losers, whatever, no, I'm going to do this, whatever. Like, it's understandable. I, I think we would all end up with a sort of a shorter fuse in a high-pressure situation like that. But it sure seems like the, the punishment is, is way out of proportion to the crime it, it, in some ways. Like, it, it sounds a little bit like, you know, as a parent, sometimes you threaten things with your kids that you're not actually ever going to do. You ever do that? Like my kids, too much time on the Xbox. I will take away that Xbox and throw it away. No, I'm not. They know that. <laughs> like, I've never done that. I, I don't, maybe I should. I don't know. I've never, I've never done that. But you, you, sometimes you threaten it. And, and, so, and it's easy to read this and go, man, it, maybe this is God just kind of like upping the ante a little bit or, or kind of over, overreaching a little bit. What is, what is the big deal? Why does he make it such a big thing? Well, look at what's actually going on. It's in verse 12 again in Numbers 20. Look at what it says. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. What is the sin? The sin is they don't trust him. They don't trust God. They trust their own understanding. They'll obey as far as they can understand it, but they're not really trusting him. So there's a brokenness in the relationship there. And it says they did not uphold him as holy. What is holy? Holy is a Hebrew word, kadosh, which means to set apart. So they didn't take God and set him apart as something special, as, as worthy of honor and praise and glory and all of those things. They didn't do that. They took the glory. Moses took the glory for him himself. And God says, no, that's not how it's supposed to be. I'm, I'm the one who's holy. Holy should be, maybe there's a way for us to understand it. Have you ever, like, 
when we do this with people, and I would say it's even more so with God, have you ever met someone who's like amazing? Like, um, like they're the head of your field. Like let's say you play golf and you meet Rory McIlroy or Tiger Woods or something like that. If you get an opportunity to do that, it's intimidating, isn't it? You're like, oh, well, this is like this is kind of a big deal. Or whatever your career field is or whatever, if you met that person that's like incredible or you, you know, if you were in that selfie with Ellen, like you pop your head in there, like how intimidating is that? Like, whoa, these people, like this is, these people are a big deal. I'm not a big deal. We get, we get like that. We get intimidated by other people. And that's maybe just the smallest glimpse of what it's like to be around a holy God. When, when anyone comes in the presence of God in the Bible, it's not like, oh, this is fun. God, cool. He's my boy. Like, everyone's like, oh, no. Like, this is really terrifying. Um, he, is, he is something other than me. He is set apart. He is holy, and I am not. Isaiah, when he has an encounter with God, he says, woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips. I mean, the first thing Isaiah thinks when he gets in the presence of God is, oh, I cuss too much. Um, and God's going to know. I shouldn't have said that thing. Like, there's an intimidation factor that is there. And God is set apart, and he is something different and holy. And, and part of the sin was Moses didn't acknowledge that. He just acted like, no, Moses is the great one here, not God. And so God is holy, and God will deal with all of our sins. Um, we all have some injustice, some, some thing that we would like to see set right in the world, in other people, right? You have a business partner that, that really messed you up and, and you wish God would deal with that person. You have a, an ex that, you, you know, they did you wrong and you want God to deal with that person. You have a bully at school that you want God to deal with that person. And God promises to set things right. He does. He promises to bring justice. But the problem is we want God to set things right with everyone except us. We want God to deal with all those people and bring justice to the world, you know? You know, smite the sinners. <laughs> but we're not willing to, to look at our own stuff. We don't realize that God is going to deal with our sin as well. If God is going to bring justice around me, then he's going to have to also bring justice to me and bring justice in me. And this is why we need Jesus. Because we can't deal with our sins on our own. Because we're flawed, every one of us. We're, we're broken. We're, we're, we're messed up. We've made mistakes. And Jesus dies to, so that justice can be served, so that, so that someone can pay for all of the sins. And he makes us clean. And by his grace, we are, um, are, are washed. our sins are washed away. So this brings me back to where we started. Why aren't we free? Um, because we continue to sin. And that leads us down the road to slavery because we continue to walk away from God, um, even when he has made us righteous before him. So how can we be free? Two things, and then we're done. Number one is this, get baptized into Christ. I told you up front I would like to see people get baptized here. Um, and I, 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 I want to see that happen. Um, I, I want to see life change happen in this, in this church and we're going to have an opportunity for baptizing people next Sunday in our new space. Um, we've got a new building there. We're excited about how that's all going to work. And we want to see people get baptized, to give their life, to be immersed in water, 
and say, I am following after Jesus. And if you have not been baptized of your own free will, I don't mean like someone dunked you when you were an infant. I mean, you've made a decision to follow Jesus and get baptized. Then write it on your connection card today and say, I want to get baptized. Because here's what happens when you get baptized. Listen to Peter in the New Testament. He says this. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the forgiveness of your sins, and, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When you are baptized... Your sins are forgiven. Jesus washes that stuff away from you. And the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. His power takes up residence in you. This is why we ask people to be baptized here. To say, Don't just say, oh, I'm going to follow Jesus and just like it's a mental or a verbal commitment or whatever. Take action with that in giving your life to Christ and be baptized into him and let him wash all of your sin away. And, and put you into a right relationship with him. When you get baptized, you are free from the condemnation of sin, the penalty of sin. You are made right with God. doesn't mean you're always free from the consequences. If you get baptized next Sunday at this church, wouldn't it be awesome if your credit card company called and was like, oh, you got baptized? We're wiping it away. Don't you worry. So glad to hear it. Man, we were just waiting for you, right? Wouldn't that be great? Oh, you got baptized? Guess what? Your lungs from years of smoking are now magically clean. You're going to be fine. Don't worry about it. You're going to be great. Like, wouldn't that be awesome? But it doesn't happen. We are free from condemnation, but it doesn't mean we're free from consequences. Sometimes that stuff's going to play out. My experience has been there are very few people who get baptized, and then immediately they're completely, radically changed forever and ever. My experience has been God works on us in a process over and over, over the years, over the decades, and he forms and shapes some things in us and helps make us clean. Um, so if you want to get baptized next Sunday, let's do this. We'll reach out to you this week. We'll have a conversation about it, and we can make it happen. Just write on your connection card to check there that you're interested in being baptized. If you have been baptized then and you, and you don't feel free, two things. One, understand your identity in Christ. I'm going to do a whole series on identity probably in February, but understand this, that your identity has changed. You are no longer a prisoner. When people are in prison, we refer to them by their sin, don't we? We go, oh, that's a murderer. That's a predator. That's an abuser. As if that is the sum total of them. And it isn't, but that's how we talk about it. People that are enslaved, we talk about them by their, what enslaves them. And our identity in Christ is, no, you're not a slave to fear, to anything. You are a child of God. And, and we need to embrace that. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've given your life to him, you've been baptized in him, you are his child. You are not a slave. You're not any of your sins. You're not a liar or an addict or whatever. Um, God is setting you free, and we need to uh, identify that and understand that. And then lastly, this, we need to not indulge our sinful nature. We need to not continue to choose those sins that pull us far away from God. Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul says this, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh or the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. We are called to be free people. But you have choices that you can make. Yes, Christ has died for you and saved you, but you have a choice every day of how you're going to live. You can choose to look at that on the internet or not, close it down. You can choose to have that drink or not. You can choose to eat that food or not. You can choose to say that, that thing that comes out of your mouth to cut someone down or not. You have choices, and, and so use, that, use your choices to follow after God, serve one another, love one another, and maybe reach out to someone. Confess your sins. Go to someone and say, man, I, I blow it. I continue to blow it. Here's where I'm at. And, and ain't nobody going to be like, I don't blow it. That's weird. Everybody would be like, yeah, me too. 
all right, let's pray for each other. Let's help each other out. Let's, let's walk on this road together. That's how we, uh, we, we become free is when we embrace the identity that we have been given in Christ and then we start walking this out together and not give into our sinful nature. So next Sunday, be baptized if you have not been. Um, that'll be your first step to freedom. And then if you have been baptized, let's, let's start uh, reaching out to each other and, and, and confessing our sins to one another. Um, here's the reality. The most difficult person in the world is me, and it's you. That's who, that's who we are. I, I blow it. You blow it. Um, the Apostle Paul referred to himself as the chief of sinners. And we read about the Apostle Paul, and we think he's like a super religious Christian guy. And he's sitting there calling himself the chief of sinners. It's not because he had low self-esteem. It's because he understood the level to which he had blown it in his life. And he's like, man, I'm, I've messed up too. And that's you, and that's me. We are, we are the difficult people in, in this world. Um, and even if God <clears throat> was to remove everyone who's ever let you down, the reality is you've let you down. So God would, ha- would have to remove you too. And so let's pray and ask him to, um, to come into our lives and, and, and give us the courage to step up, be baptized if need be, to reach out if need be, and to be set free. Let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, set us free from uh, the sins that, are, that, that we struggle with and we continue to go back to. Um, God, I, I confess that I am a difficult person, um, not just to those around me that I love as a boss or as a husband or father or friend or a son, but I'm a difficult person to me, and um, I don't always do the things I should do and things I want to do. So God, cleanse me, uh, help me to be set apart and holy as you are holy. And God, cleanse us in this room that we can be people who, although the world swirls around us and does its thing and all, all stuff it chases after, that we are going to be a different people, a counterculture here in Richmond. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.